Welcome to the All About Alts podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, Newview Trust's president, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Welcome, everybody, back to the All About Alts podcast. I am your host, Jason DeBono, and I am joined by Lane Schaumberger from Y Refi. Lane, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, as our regular listeners will know, I'm a huge fan of private lending, something that I've been doing a little over 15 years. And, you know, I love private lending because there's so many different ways to be an investor on the lending side. And and I've done predominantly real estate, but we're going to talk with Lane and YReFi today about actually being on the lending side of distressed student debt, which is totally different than what a lot of people are probably familiar with, but pretty cool. So, you know, Lane, let's dig right in. If you're ready to go, you know, you've been with YReFi, you're the CIO managing partner um, six, seven years now, but let's go back a little bit uh, even before then. Your background really originated on the financial advisory side, you know, some years ago. So how'd you get into that space and kind of what was that like? Well, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I actually came into the financial services business in about 1995. My father had started our firm. Uh, it was a small financial planning firm, estate planning, investment advisory uh, work back in 1968. So I came into a family-owned business, worked side by side with my dad, which was a real honor and treat. Worked with him until he ultimately retired, and I uh, bought the practice. I had a great career, 25 years. You know, enjoyed every second of it, and the opportunity to do this came along. And you know, that's a huge change, a chapter in my life that I had to change. And, and the reason I got into this was when I, again, when I was an infant in this business, in the, in the business of financial services, one of my very first clients was my, my partner, the CEO of this company. And he had started a company back in the nineties and I was brought in to do the benefits health, dental vision. Cause in the nineties, that's what you did was you put in good benefits and to retract and retain employees. And I often joke and I say, I must have done a great job because by 2006, 2007, he'd grown that company to a thousand employees. Um, They were in the student education finance business, doing federal and private loans, developed a lot of new products. They were funding a billion dollars a year in education finance, you know, 25,000 inbound calls a year. He built an absolute machine. And when he came to me and said that he's going to make another run at the student education space, you know, I was like... I want to help. I never saw this coming, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I was thinking about bringing in financial services to all of those people that he wanted to help, but it, it turned into something completely different than we expected. We filled a need with people who needed help. Uh, and this became my full-time thing. I sold my practice and here I am six and a half years later. Wow. Well, what a great story. And you know, I think some key lessons for our listeners, you know, number one, you never know who your next partner is going to be. I mean, if you'd have thought your very first client, you know, 25 years later would be your business partner in a totally different industry than you were serving. You know, you'd have probably thought, yeah, right. Yep. Never saw it coming. Yeah. And, you know, the second thing, and, and we talk about this a lot with one of the common themes amongst, you know, our guests is that career changes are inevitable and, you know, don't fight them, embrace them. And, you know, if somebody would have said you worked 25 years, I mean, your dad, you know, started this company and he did it his whole life and he sold it to his son and, you know, you took it over and here you are. And all of a sudden, you know, you didn't 
sell it to retire. You sold it to change careers. So good for you for being able to see that opportunity. And, and here you are six, seven years later and doing some pretty cool things and disrupting the student lending business, which is really cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Been a lot of fun. So, and the, you know, the clients are still there. The business is still there. I still go over and talk with all of the, uh, my, my former employees because <laughs> right? they're all still there doing their thing. I'm just not the CEO anymore over there. So that's all right. Yeah. Well, what a fun transition. So you went from, you know, you're sitting on one side of the desk, uh, helping people with employee benefits and helping people with financial planning and advice. And now you're on the other side of that, you know, which is serving in the CIO seat of a business that helps do distressed private student loans. What was that transition like? And, you know, what parallels can you draw back from the advisory business in your previous life? And then kind of what's been new and exciting as you've embarked on this kind of new journey? You know, leaving was not easy. You know, the reality is, is a lot of the clients, and I, I say a lot, a portion of those clients were clients of my dad's before I was even a twinkle in his eye. So I've known them my entire life. So leaving was not something I took lightly, but it was it was one of those things where I was like, you know what, it's just, it's time for me to move to my next chapter. I, I had a lot of fun, a lot of experience that I garnered from that. And I think some of that, a lot of that has transitioned into this business because we've developed an investment product that makes a lot of sense. It's clear, it's concise, it's easy to understand for the investor as well as the independent advisor. So our, it was really built around focusing on those two people to, you know, individuals to look at and, and consider an investment opportunity. You know, I've learned more about student loans in the last five and a half, six years uh, than I ever imagined. Uh, but I'm also surrounded by a group of people that is, they've forgotten more about student loans than I'll probably ever learn in the next 10 years. So, you know, I'm having a lot of fun where we raise the capital and we keep the business moving forward and, and growing. And on the student loan side, you know, what we've discovered is a market that no one else is addressing. We're the only company that does what we do, uh, working with distressed private student loans. It's not debt settlement. It's a It's an opportunity for a borrower to actually pay their debt down with dignity, which is not something they are given in the current world. And we figured out a way to do it. And because of that, the success of our borrowers is, well, it's, it's evidenced in the success. Let's just say that. Well, and, you know, I think it's such a polarizing topic, you know, student debt, and, and there's so much going on in Congress. And, you know, I think if you listen to noise, it will always drive you crazy. And it doesn't matter what the topic or subject is. But, you know, I think one thing that, you know, everybody would agree on is that, you know, furthering your education for most people is a smart move. You know, there's certainly the exceptions of people that just go to college to go or that don't actually, you know, really think about what they want to be. But, you know, getting into debt is such an easy thing to do in college. It's almost impossible today not to get into debt. And, you know, for many people coming out of school and depending on what the economic conditions look like, you know, sometimes the just the sheer gravity of your debt, no matter what, will pull you down. So, you know, you guys are focused specifically on distressed student debt. So, you know, you're not really here for someone that's getting into school or looking to go back to school. You're here for someone that's been there, done that, but is really having trouble keeping up with that payment schedule that really they kind of forced themselves into. And I don't say that negatively, but that level of debt has caught up to them. Right. And, you know, if I can, Jason, I'm going to address the 800 pound gorilla in the room because you already kind of touched on it. And that's the idea of, you know, the word student loans is politically charged right? doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. The reality is, is it's, it's constantly being talked about in every political realm. So let's just, let's get that 
clear it up really quick if I can. There's two sides to student loans. Okay, there's federal and there's private. And both sides are bankruptcy remote or bankruptcy protected. Okay, it's the reason the borrowers have the problem that they have. They have no way out. But here's the thing. When politicians are up on stage and they're talking about student loan forgiveness, okay, this is the, the latest plan by the Biden administration was to forgive all this debt. And as people may know, it was recently stricken down by the uh, Supreme Court. It's not going to happen. But it doesn't change the fact that the first question everybody asks is what happens if they forgive the student loans? And that's because a lot of people don't realize there's two sides to the equation. So they're asking because the politicians always funnel it as we're going to give student loan forgiveness. They don't talk about federal student loan forgiveness. Okay. We only deal in private loans that are in distress. We do not deal with any federal loans. So in the event of some sort of forgiveness, if they were able to ever get it done, the reality of it is it would actually help us and our borrowers and therefore our investors. Now, I'm not suggesting we endorse or like the idea of student loan forgiveness. I'm suggesting that if they got it through, it would actually help us. And the, and the, you know, the question then is, well, how does it help you, Lane? And the answer is most borrowers that have private student loans also have federal student loans. So forgiveness of federal loans would free up cash flow and would allow them to make extra payments on their private student loans. I don't see it happening, but I, I'd like to address that. So first thing was I'd explain it. Now I want to address it. I don't see it happening personally, but it's always a hot topic. And again, it's a political conversation that is always, always brought up, particularly as we get closer and closer to the next election, you're going to hear more and more of that. Well, I glad to hear that you, you know, separated those two. I think like most politically charged, you know, issues, there's really, right, as they say, three sides to the coin, right? Your side, my side and the truth. And so I think for me, you know, I have a very limited understanding of this space. And so, you know, that helps me get clarity. And I'm sure our listeners feel the same way as well. And you make a great point, you know, if federal, you know, most borrowers are borrowing from both sides of the faucet. And so if they're able to borrow from the federal government and the private, but only get eliminated debt on the federal side, if that, you know, does make its way through Congress and through whatever legal means stand in the way of that, it doesn't really change anything. They still have no bankruptcy protection to pay their private debt, but now they've got greater cash flow and more incentive to pay off their loans. Just to be clear, they have bankruptcy protection. The private loans are bankruptcy remote or bankruptcy protected, just like the federal loans, just to be on the same page. So, you know, because we get asked that question, well, what happens if they change the bankruptcy laws? And we'll talk more about that after I explain what we do. And that way it's clear how we are working to protect in the event they do take away the bankruptcy protections because our borrowers are involved in a portfolio that is bankruptcy remote or bankruptcy protected. Well, and, you know, I don't know what you guys are seeing on your end, but more out of curiosity, you know, my belief is that most people want to pay their student loans off. You know, they took out the loans hoping to generate a better career, a better, you know, financial opportunity, and they want to use that financial opportunity to pay off their debt. Now, not to say that, again, there's not exceptions to every rule and people that would rather buy something new and shiny than pay off their debt. But for most people, you know, do you agree with that? Is that a fair sentiment? You know, it is a fair sentiment. It does, you know, part of what we do here, Jason, when we're underwriting a borrower, we're very, very thorough and careful in how we underwrite those borrowers. And anybody that really doesn't want to pay off their student loan, we're going to flush them out before we fund a loan. We have our underwriting process that we put borrowers through. We're very careful on the phone. We ask the right questions. And if, if someone is really just looking to kick that can down the road, we're not interested. We're here to help people that are serious about getting out of debt. And, and because of that, we've developed a program that actually helps them. And 
I, I use the analogy all the time of a picture of people out there in the ocean bobbing around, right? These are the guys, they're in distress and we've got our boat and we're going out and we, we throw them a life preserver, right? If they take the life preserver and we pull them on board, then they want help. If they don't take the life preserver or they let go of it while we're pulling them in, well, maybe they'll be there when we come back around. Maybe they won't. And the sharks are the lenders, servicers, collection agencies, and law firms that the debt is with, and they're working their way towards a judgment and a garnishment of their wages. Their credit gets destroyed. So they're either going to get serious or they're going to go all the way to the end, <laughs> but they're not getting out of it. <laughs> so we're really focused on the people that are looking to get pulled on that, you know, out of the ocean, if you will. Well, I appreciate that analogy because it is true. Not everybody that is struggling to swim is looking for help, even sometimes when it's readily available to them. So, you know, you guys aren't originating any paper. You guys are really on the secondary market. Ultimately, for lack of a better term, comparing it maybe to the real estate, you know, lending side, refinancing, you know, these loans for individuals, but nobody's calling you on their way into campus for the first time looking to pay. These are people that have gotten out of school, you know, whether they've graduated or exited and they're looking, they've gotten behind and now they're looking to, you know, figure out how to get back to current and keep their head above water. Exactly. Yeah. We're not doing any new money lending for, you know, kids going to school. You're right on the money. These are all people that are done with their education. They've gotten their degree or they've got some level of college behind them because they were trying to better their lives. Right. That's you know, we're looking for the people that are looking to get to a better place in life. So, and again, we thoroughly underwrite these folks and, you know, we built a model where our borrowers have to call us. We do not do any outbound phone campaigns. Right. So these are people that are, are initiating a conversation with us. They're trying to find a way, a solution. So, for example, we do advertise on Google, right? And what you do advertise on Google is you do what's called pay-per-click. Somebody types in certain keywords and they might be directed to the Y-Refi website. We pull credit from, you know, a data rather from TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax. And with that, we're able to put together, in essence, what's a postcard that basically says, oh, card about that big. And we send it to them and says, in essence, you have a problem. We have a solution. Here's our number. It's on them to call. We don't do any outbound robocalls, none of that garbage. That's not who we are. We have relationships with about 125, give or take, lenders, servicers, collection agencies, law firms, where they will do a live transfer of the borrower from their call floor to our call floor because they know they cannot help them and we can, right? And they know they're going to spend a lot of time chasing these people around, trying to get money out of them. And, and they would rather have that borrower work with us. And we are able to put them into a situation that they can actually better their situation, get, you know, afford that payment, repair their credit. We just got endorsed by Dave Ramsey. You'll start hearing why refi come out of Dave Ramsey's mouth here at the end of this month. In fact, Monday, the 31st is our go live date. So in August, you'll hear us. Funny thing about distressed private student loans. There's not like a coffee shop where borrowers who are in distress go and hang out, right? They're out there everywhere. Well, if there was a coffee shop, it would be called Dave Ramsey, right? What does he work with? He works with people who are trying to get out of debt. They love to do their debt-free screen, Right. And he gets it. When we explained the model to him, it immediately resonated with him. And he was able to get behind it and say, I like this. It fits the model of the Dave Ramsey solutions of the debt snowball and get out of debt. Here's how. You, so, yeah, we're excited to work with him. And there's other ways we get borrowers to, to call us. But that's some examples. 
you know, it's something that I think has, you know, hopefully with if there's a positive to come out of the, you know, some of the student debt forgiveness discussions. And while we both agree, it's certainly politically charged and motivated. It's a real issue, you know, and and I'm reminded of there's a local high school here that I do some financial education and training for. And they had a, a town hall and they had, I don't know, eight or 10 different professionals, you know, up on the front and the students there were, you know, junior seniors and they could ask whatever questions they wanted. And, you know, younger on the back, you know, raises her hand and said, you know, I'm going to be leaving for college or starting college. You know, what advice do you have on the best student loans to take out? And, you know, and person <laughs> one says, you know, what are you looking at in interest rates? And they kind of gave the speech, maybe it was someone on the lending side and person two said, well, you know, you want to make sure that the loan terms and, you know, person three said, you know, how long can you defer the loan till you have to pay it? And, and all the way down the line. And, you know, my tongue was just bleeding because the very first question I asked is, why do you need a student loan? And, you know, I'm not suggesting that they don't serve a very functional purpose and they're great. But the first thought, you know, was I need a loan and how do I go take it out instead of, well, what if I went to community college and lived at home or what if I didn't go to, you know? And so I think one of the things that if there's a positive to be had about politically charged discussions and topics is they do cause people to think and hopefully, right, some of the distressed debt, not that you want to be out of business, but I think you would all agree, you know, you're in business to make money for you and for your investors. But at the same time, there's a lot of, of these people that if they didn't take the loans to, you know, they were going to go down this path and they were going to, you know, they're going to end up at your doorstep no matter what. And you'd rather those people probably not even show up at the doorstep to begin with. Yeah, no question. And Jason, you bring up a really valid point. And when we started this business in January of 2017, we knew verifiable the distressed private student loan market was $21 billion with a B, okay? Now, what's interesting about that is for every billion dollars, that's 40 to 50,000 people that are in distress, okay? So that kind of gives you an example of how big the market was. So to your point, you know, you say, we, we, you know, we don't want to be out of business. There's no chance we're going to have that problem because the market's plenty big. It's actually one of the four big questions that we get asked. That's, that's one of the four. First one was student loan forgiveness. One of the four is, is the market big enough? Here's what's very interesting. That was in January of 2017 when we started the business. It was 21 billion. Okay. What most people don't know is private student loans, the majority, when I say the majority, I'm talking high 90%, are variable interest rate loans. Well, look at the economy that we're in right now. Okay. This is July 17th, 2023. And we are in an inflationary environment. They've raised the interest rates. I don't even know how many times I've lost count, right? Well, every one of these student loans, they adjust the interest rate, not monthly. It's either quarterly, semi-annually, or annually. So borrowers right now are getting just destroyed. And I'm not talking about just the people that were on the bubble and they those people got pushed off the fence early on. What we've seen as a trend, unfortunately, is the larger balance loans, which tend to be tied to your doctors, lawyers, dentists, your white collar workers. They've got a much higher student loan debt load, right? They're paying $1,500 a month. And all of a sudden the payment's 18 and 21 and 25. And now it's 3000, right? Because it's usually prime plus X. That's a mortgage payment, right? And these people have a life. They've got a standard of living. And now they're looking at it going, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. <laughs> destroys their credit, but they've already got a life, right? They're established in their career. So our call volume has spiked. Q4 of last year was through the roof. Q1 beat Q4 and Q2 beat Q1. So the market, by all 
estimations right now is sitting about $45 billion. It has literally doubled in the last 12 months. Thank you, Joe Biden. <laughs> Don't mean to get political, but let's talk about that, right? So we're in a situation where, to your point, market's not going away. I was very happy with a $21 billion market. We didn't need to worry about it getting any bigger. We're the only people doing what we do. We didn't need it bigger, but here we are with a $45 billion market. The wind is at our back. Yeah. Well, you know, there's no doubt, you know, education is so critical for society and civilization as a whole, but it's some staggering numbers there. Thank you for sharing those, Lane. It uh, it gives perspective. And I think we all kind of know that's lingering, but when you hear those level of numbers, I mean, to, to, for it to double in seven years, let alone 12 months is significant. I want to dig in and really kind of understand, you know, a little bit more about what it means to be on the lending side in the distressed private student loan. You know, I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with the debt side of things as it relates to real estate. And we've talked about it a handful of times on the show. You know, it's something that that I'm intimately familiar with. But what I love about investing is that every asset class has a series of asset classes inside of it. And, you know, we talk about diversity and, you know, you don't have to be out of the lending business to diversify. I mean, you could be a lender and be diversified either geographically, right? Lend in different areas, different states, the different types of borrowers. But you can also be diversified by lending into different asset classes. And, and you can lend on real estate, but you can also lend on student debt. And I want to talk about that. That's very intriguing. And I think something that our listeners need to be you know, mindful of it as they embark on their, you know, building out their portfolio and, and their strategy of, of entering the alt space. So we're going to get to that. But favorite part of the show, Lane, we're going to shift gears for just a minute. This is the quirky questions of the day. I know you're familiar with at least the process, but surprises await in one of these three envelopes. So Maggie, I'm going middle envelope. If you do have quirky questions, these are all listener submitted. So you can send those in to Maggie with a Y at newviewtrust.com. All right, Lane, you ready to go? Hit me. All right. Question number one. If you could teleport anywhere in the world right now, where would you go and why? If I could teleport anywhere in the world, where would I go and why? <laughs> that could be a... That could be a dangerous question. Somewhere I've probably never been, you know, probably like New Zealand, just because I've heard it's gorgeous. My son wants to go there. And first question I would ask is, can I bring my kid? Because he's just dying to go to New Zealand. So I'd probably want to go there and just see it, be a part of that culture for a while. That seems like, it, considering it's a good two days of travel on both ends, that seems like a very good place to teleport. So yeah, my son has asked me numerous times about special powers. And I've always said, this is, it's so easy for me, teleportation. I just want to be where I want to be when I want to be there. So, all right, New Zealand it is. Number two, if you could only eat one food the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, man, so many good things. Probably pizza. <laughs> Almost anything Mexican. <laughs> pizza, let's go with that. <laughs> all right, pizza it is. I like that. Question number three, what's the weirdest conspiracy theory you secretly believed in? Weirdest conspiracy theory that I've secretly believed in. Well, when it comes to anything political in the most recent past, it's all come true. So none of that fits. <laughs> UFOs, maybe? That's a weird one. I don't know. That's That, that one you may have stumped me on. <laughs> I think it's a very valid answer on the UFO side. You know, it's amazing to me that all the things in the world and we have all the information at our fingertips and all this stuff and, you know, this knowledge base that we have. 
yet no one can really answer the question if these things are real. Yep. I was listening to something on the radio just the other day and they were talking about it ad nauseum about how the government has all this hidden data and da, 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 da. it was kind of funny to listen to, frankly. But it was also on at 12 o'clock in the morning. I had just gotten back from a trip and I was driving from the airport to home and I'm like, well, there's a reason it's on at midnight. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, there's a lot of them out there, but I think UFOs is a very valid answer. And I don't know, maybe one of these days we'll get a real answer as to exactly, you know, what's going on out there and if they really do have UFOs, you know, sitting in a bunker somewhere out in Arizona. Right now they go right by Earth, they lock their doors. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I understand completely. So yeah, think about we're giving them all the ammunition they need to sit around whatever they're sitting around and talking about us for sure. Or well, I appreciate you <laughs> playing along with us, Lane, on our quirky questions of the day. Thank you to the listeners that, that continue to submit those. Always fun to, to just take a little bit of a break. And also, you never know what you're going to hear. So let's kind of kick out or turn around now to the second half and kind of come down the home stretch here. You know, we've talked a lot about why refi kind of from a front end standpoint and kind of, you know, how you guys are in the market and servicing. Let's take this back down to our listeners are investors, right? They want to know how do they, you know, make money and how do they do it tax efficiently, right? Those are the two things that we kind of preach is, you know, get into the alt space where it makes sense and whatever that is. And then number two, right? How do we do that in a tax efficient manner? So let's talk on the investment side, you know, for you guys to lend capital, you have to raise capital. And a lot of people don't really think about this, but, you know, all lending institutions, you know, big and small have to get capital from somewhere. So, you know, you guys do have an investment fund that you use to allow people to invest with you and then in turn participate, you know, in the returns of these, you know, loans that you guys are writing. Give me just the Reader's Digest overview on kind of what does that look like? What's the why behind it from an investor standpoint? So thank you. Yeah, we have what's called a Regulation D, 506C, so alternative investment filed with the SEC, not approved or denied by them, just a filed, which means accredited investors only, which I'm sure you can talk more about that in a moment, but minimum investment, $50,000. And then what we did was we created something very unique. Frankly, I don't know that I've seen anything else out there that resembles what we've built. And the way it works very simply is an investor has the ability to pick the duration of their investment from one to five years. Okay. And you can mix and match. You can go a little bit in each one, one, two, three, four, and five. You can ladder your income if creating a laddered income is important. The interest rates that we offer are fixed interest rates in what's called a secured collateralized portfolio. I'll explain secured collateralized in just a second. But at the end of the day, a one-year investment is paying 6.25% fixed. A two-year is at 6.75% fixed. A three-year is at 7.5% fixed. A four-year is at 8.25% fixed. And a five-year is at 10.25% fixed. Now, what we do, Jason, is we calculate interest on a daily basis. And then we make payments on a monthly basis of interest only with a return of principal to the investor at the end of their elected term or terms. Okay, it's structured mechanically, very much like a bond. They are promissory notes. I have to disclose that they're not bonds, they're promissory notes. They just mechanically function in that capacity so people can see it, feel it, get it, right? Well, then we went one step further and we said, let's give the investor Okay, particularly those investors that don't need the income, right? They want to compound. They're you know younger IRA holders, for example. 
you can actually turn that interest income on or off, up or down in 1% increments or by dollar amount in each individual tranche that the money is invested in as often as monthly. So you have complete and total control, right? I often use the same example. Let's pretend somebody put $100,000 into each tranche, one, two, three, four, and five. And they say, I want to take the income from the one, the three, and the five, and I want to reinvest the two and the four. Done. Next month, client says, I, I need a little more income. I'll take the one, the three, and the five, and 32% of the four. Done. Meaning I want to compound the balance. Next month, I don't want any income. Turn it all off. Done. You can do it right on their online portal. So the investor can go right online and they can make those adjustments as often as monthly. You can actually do it daily, but it'll lock in once a month. And then we went and, you know, we got that very cool structure. And then we said, let's go one step further and let's give a liquidity feature. Very simple. Structure like a CD. Client needs out early, whether it's a partial or full redemption, you can do both. Penalty is interest only, no attack on principal. Okay, so like a CD, right? If you're in for one year and you're six months in and you want, want back out, you lose six months of interest. It's called opportunity cost in the financial advisory world. Everybody asks, if I'm in the five-year note and I'm four and a half years in and I need to get my money out, do I lose all my interest? The answer is yes, don't do that. Okay. Come up with another way, right? Let's talk. Let's figure out how to get you across that finish line, turn on the income something, right? I don't want to see anybody fail. Now to offset that, we offer a, what's called a roll-up. And a roll-up is very simple. If you're in the one, two, three, or four-year term, at the end of your term, you can lock in all the interest. It's vested or ensconced. It's yours. And you can then roll up to anything above you and finish out that term at the higher interest rate. So let's say you're in the $100,000 in the three-year note at 7.5%. At the end of three years, whether you compounded or took the income, it's irrelevant. It's locked in. It's yours. Client says, I'd sure like to roll into that five-year note, but I don't want to be in for five full years. Okay. Let's roll you now because you've got the first three is already done. We then roll you to the five and we give you two years at 10 and a quarter. And if you had to get out in that last two years, it's a two-year surrender, two-year penalty. That's it. It's that simple. So that's the investment piece. Right. And then you've got the, I mentioned secured collateralized. So let me tell you what that means. What that means is there's a big long legal document. I'll paraphrase it. It basically says in the event why refi were to default on any interest or poor principal payment to any investor, the entire portfolio goes to an independent third party collateral agent. That agent has one job, make the investors whole. So the question then is what's this portfolio and how are they going to do it? Well, they're going to either sell the portfolio, they're going to collect on the portfolio, or they're going to sell a portion and collect on the balance. Those are the three options. And it's a math decision, frankly. So then again, what's the portfolio? Well, it's the entire portfolio of bankruptcy protected, refinanced student loans okay, that are now in payment that goes to the collateral agent. Now the question becomes, is there going to be enough there to cover the investors, right? Now you get into what do you do and how you do it. So as I mentioned earlier, borrowers call us. We put them through a pretty rigorous underwriting process, kind of like getting a mortgage. Okay, now I will say YREFI is probably the only lender that does not underwrite on FICO score. We really don't care what their FICO score is. We know they have a bad FICO and we know why. So we're more concerned about tax returns, pay stubs, proof of employment. We want to know where did you go to school? How long were you there? What are you doing now? At the end of the day, the question is, can you afford our payment? Yes or no? And by the way, our payment is typically 50% of what they're being asked to pay in the current situation they're in, okay? Because they're in distress, their private student loan, the interest rate with penalties, fees, and all of the other things could be north of 20%. In a lot of cases, they're hitting maximum usury in the state they reside, okay? So we're underwriting these folks. We then pull credit so we can see what their total debt load looks like, specifically their student loan debt load. And we're able to calculate what their payment would be with us if 
we refinanced a loan with them if we actually approved them. We confirm they can afford that payment. And if they can, we require them to set up an escrow account and start making that payment today. Okay. We require a minimum of two months. We average about six and a half payments. So the borrower is in the history and they're making payments. We do that to make sure that they have the ability and willingness to pay us back. Kind of important, right? By the way, if they fail at any point in time before we fund a loan, give them back all their money. Zero risk. On the other side, if we approve them, and I'm going to give you a couple statistics about our portfolio. On the other side, if we approve them, 100% of that escrow account, however much is in there, goes on their very first statement as principal reduction. So right out of the gate, they can see they're winning. Very important to what's going on up here in their heads right now. Okay. So here's some statistics. About 70% of our borrowers have a co-borrower, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, someone who signed on the original loan. Okay. So those folks are in trouble and they need help too. Okay. So what we then do is we're building a custom loan around the borrower's ability to pay. Okay. So while we're in underwriting and we're working through these people through the process, we're working with the existing lender, servicer, collection agency, law firm, et cetera, to negotiate down the price of the debt. We then settle it and pay off that debt at a deep discount, typically 35 to 40 cents on the dollar, okay, which is a little bit higher than what you would see in your consumer debt space. And the reason is, is it's bankruptcy protected. That's first. But it's also we're cherry picking. Okay. When I say cherry picking, we're doing these one loan at a time. We do not buy whole loan portfolios and then jam a bunch of borrowers into a product that they don't understand. Right? We want to underwrite them first. We want to know exactly what we're getting. So the borrowers go through that process. We ultimately pay it off at a deep discount. We then refinance their loan to them at 100%. We do not give them a discount on the face value of their loan. We often get asked, why don't you give them a discount? And the answer is we could, but we will not. And the reason we will not is if we did, the borrower is going to get what's called a 1099 cancellation of debt, which is taxes, ordinary income in the year in which it's forgiven. Now, what we just did is we took a borrower and we put them into a worse situation because the IRS does not play games. Okay. And it puts us behind the IRS in payment. Who's going to get paid first, second, third, right? Because the IRS has a lot more power over them than we do. So we don't give them a discount. We actually tack in our 5% refinance fee. So if they came in with a $100,000 loan, they now owe one hundred and five. Here's what we do do is we do share the discount. We give that borrower a low fixed interest rate. Our average interest rate to our borrowers is only 3.9% fixed. Our average term or length of the loan is on average 8.6 years. These are not long-term predatory loans. They're short-term custom-built loans built around the borrower's ability to pay. Okay, now everybody stops me and they say, Lane, wait a minute. <laughs> You just said you're collecting 3.9 from these borrowers on average, but you're paying 10 and a quarter on a five-year note. Math doesn't make sense. Help me understand. Why refi? We don't make our money on the interest rate, that coupon that we charge the borrower. That's the icing on the cake. We make our money in the fact that we paid off the loan at 35-ish, 40 cents on the dollar, and it's worth 105. Bit of a gap there. We're sharing that profit with our investors through those interest rates that we're paying in that fixed return. And that's also how we create the secured collateralized portfolio, okay? Because going back to that point, if the portfolio went to that collateral agent, had to be sold, what we built for 35 cents on the dollar, if they sold it for 85 cents on the dollar, we're still very much ahead. If they sold it for the dollar, we're very much ahead. So that's the building of that. Now, here's the really neat part. We often say we do well by doing good. And that's not an uncommon phrase these days. 
used to be referred to as uh, socially responsible, but I feel like that term has been beat up a lot. So I like to just share, here's, here's what we're doing, because these loans are tearing people apart. Families are getting decimated, you know, relationships, grandparents aren't talking to grandkids, mom and dads are, it, it's a mess. Holiday time is awkward. If you go to our website, you can watch the testimonials, you'll see it. And here's what happens. Our average borrower comes to us with a low 500, high 400 FICO score. Our average co-borrower comes to us with a low 600, high 500 FICO score. What we discovered, we are not in the business of repairing people's credit, just to be clear. We got in this to fix their student loan problem. Okay. What we discovered, this unintended benefit was FICO scores tend to recover on average 125 points for a borrower and 138 on average for a co-borrower within six to nine months of us funding a loan. Now, those are meaningful recoveries, right? You and I both know FICO drives everything, right? Ability to buy a home, get a car, you know, insurance rates are some to some degree FICO driven. So these people's lives start to shift in a very big way. And that's one of the driving factors, among others, why they're succeeding, which brings me to my last point. What's our default rate? How are our borrowers doing, right? And the answer is at six and a half years, our default rate is under 2%. Borrowers are crushing it. They're doing absolutely amazing. So we're, we're very happy for them and with them. Well, and anytime you can be in a, you know, doing well by doing well, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with making money while other people are also prospering. And, you know, pairing both investor is, is prospering through that, you know, and when borrower is able to prosper and usually, you know, I hate to say everybody wins, that sounds a little bit cliche, but the reality is there are scenarios that can be created where that can in fact happen. You know, one of the things that we really like to look at on the lending side, you know, and this is a little more just from my personal experience, you know, I'm always looking on the lending side at a few different things, right? Number one is the first thing I want to know is what's their ability to repay, right? Can they actually repay? Because you can lend anyone any amount of money and, and maybe never see any of it back. And I think it's Warren Buffett uh, that said return of principle is always better than return on principle, you know, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, how's that protected, right? Where's that collateral come in? And certainly there's some things that Lane shared that are, you know, ways to make sure, right? And it's up to you guys individually to underwrite whatever loans, if you want to be in the private lending space, you know, but that's certainly an avenue is what does that look like? You know, from an ability standpoint, great. But if they have the ability and decide not to pay, what do we do? How do we get there? You know, and then the last thing that I always like to look at is, does this make more sense in a tax advantaged account? Right. And that's where you always got to come back. The reason that private lending has always fit so well into retirement accounts is because a lot of private lending income is short term capital gains. The asset class itself is not a tax benefited asset. Like real estate, for example, has depreciation, other tax benefits that come with it. Typically, private notes, private lending, promissory notes, they don't. Not doesn't make it a bad thing, but a lot of that short-term interest accrual is all coming at you at capital gains. And so I just want to, you know, kind of turn the tables for those investors to kind of be thinking about is if you're looking at this as a strategy, right? Because you like the space, you like the asset class, you like what it is that that this asset class offers, then I would really encourage you guys to make sure that you're giving that latter piece of thought to. Does this make sense if you've got 50 grand here and 50 grand there 
to make that investment, to really look and consider that because the difference of keeping this money from a return standpoint in a tax deferred or tax free account like an IRA only compounds your return above and beyond, you know, whatever returns are already available to you. What are you seeing in that space, Lane? You know, you're on the investment side, right? You're working with investors every day. You know, what are you seeing in terms of retirement account portfolios or tax advantaged accounts, you know, participating and how does that fit into what you guys are doing at YRefi? So, yeah, great question. And, you know, for those folks that have uh, retirement accounts, we do see a lot of investors coming in with IRA money because the, the taxes are deferred. In our case, so there's no ownership. It's a promissory note, which means the interest is taxed as ordinary income for non-qualified accounts. So if someone set up an individual joint trust, LLC, corporation, you know, we have to send out a 1099 interest form every year, whether they compound it or not is irrelevant. However, if you're in an IRA or retirement style account, a solo K or uh, simple or SEP or Roth, you know, there's no tax forms from us. The rules surrounding the retirement style account are what applies. So there's no tax consequence until the investor actually removes the money from the IRA. Well, that might be years and years from now, right? It could be an RMD that they're taking out after they turn 70 and what is the new rule, 70 and a half or 73 or whatever. And so, you know, you can defer it a long time if you're using qualified retirement accounts for sure. But in our world, it's not short or long-term gains. It's ordinary income in a non-qualified. Yeah. And that's the power of good investments can become great investments with tax strategy. And that's one of the things, you know, for those that listen regularly that we preach a lot, you know, is people can find good investments. That's how you make money. If you combine good investments coupled with the ability to keep more of that from a tax standpoint, that's how you get wealthy. Right. And that's something that is critical here. And, you know, the other thing is if you're looking at investment opportunities and it's not just why refi, really a lot of investments generally to go longer have more value. The problem is, is to go long in your personal account may come at the expense of, you know, your kid's college or, you know, life events, whereas to go long in a retirement account, I won't say as easy, but for most people, you know, if I'm looking at my own retirement account, the difference between one, three, five, seven and ten doesn't change anything. So I can be time agnostic where I can now be return focused. And so I can start not chasing, but taking advantage of maybe better returns or higher returns by being able to be long. And if I can keep that interest completely tax-free, that's where strategies start to really couple from good investments to great investments. Right. One of the things to point out really quick is this particular asset class, okay, because like you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, there's a, a dozen or hundreds of maybe different asset classes in distressed debt. This is a very specific niche of distressed debt. And at the end of the day, you've got a product that is completely non-correlated to anything. We're not tied to the stock market, the Dow, the NASDAQ, none of it. And we're also not tied to the Fed. So whatever happens out there doesn't affect what we're doing here. Yeah. And that's, you know, as we look at the marketplace and the conditions and where we are, you know, I think everybody would agree economic cycles come and go in a variety of means. You know, we saw something in an economic cycle in the form of a pandemic that for most of us in our lifetimes would have never, ever thought about. Yet we went through an economic cycle and, and now we're in an interest rate economic cycle and there will be new economic cycles. And, you know, non-correlation is key. You know, finding investments that aren't as impacted, you know, when economic cycles hit is critical. I appreciate you bringing that up, Lane. It's, uh, it's something that a lot of people tend to overlook. Well, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. You know, I love 
hearing people's stories about changing careers. And I love disruptive industries and, you know, areas where you can take advantage, not in a negative way, but in a positive way of the opportunities, but also use those advantages to do some good out there. And I know there's a lot of people that are, you know, have a lot of weight on their shoulders that are carrying around a lot of this debt. And it's inevitable they're going to find themselves up against a corner. And so for why refi, you know, to be out there as a solution to not only be able to offer investors a way to access the private distressed debt world, but also to offer borrowers the ability to, you know, hopefully get that weight off their shoulders and into a position, you know, that's certainly, you know, something that uh, that's powerful. Thank you. I agreed. And, you know, I would, uh, one of the questions we get asked is if I invest in this, am I investing in any one borrower? And the answer is no, everybody's in a portfolio where you're investing with the entire group of investors are investing in the entire portfolio of borrowers. So no one's tied to any one borrower. So, and then at the, you know, at the beginning, you asked to talk about kind of a proof of concept. How does it work? And maybe we're going to get to this, but I would suggest go to our website. It's investyrefi.com. Just invest the letter Y-R-E-F-Y.com. And there's an investment simulator. Go in there and click that investment simulator. You can put in dollar amounts into each tranche. You can turn the interest income up or down, compounding or, or take the income. Click the little simulate button and just see what it does. Uh, it's, it, we built all of our own technology here. We own it. And it's an opportunity for someone to go in and look at it and go, oh, okay, well, I, now I see what that looks like. Like pie charts, graphs, breakdown month by month over year over year. So you can actually see what it looks like. And then you can go in there and change it and say, well, what if I took income here? Right. What if you know, I want to compound for the first three years, but now I'm going to hit my RMD and I got to take income. What does that look like? Right. Do it. Play with it. It's a lot of fun, actually. It's a cool calculator. Well, thank you for sharing that. And that actually, as we come down the home stretch here and bring this show to a close, you know, kind of bring up, you know, the best way for people to get in touch. And we'll put that link into the show notes so you guys can click into it. Uh, I think simulators are fantastic. Everybody should be running them. If you're not familiar with financial calculators, graphs and charts, you should be. They're not all just for show, although sometimes they can be, but they really are valuable ways to really see how compounding works and how investing works. And so, yeah, thank you, Lane, for sharing that. You know, as we wrap up, you know, today, I want to thank you for kind of introducing myself and, and our whole audience to really an asset class within an asset class, right? We're talking about private lending. We're talking about private notes. But we're talking about a very special niche. So if you're looking to be in the lending space and you're looking to be into assets beyond just real estate, certainly the distressed private student debt is an area for you to go take a look at. As with anyone that we bring on the show or any group organization, we always encourage our listeners, go out and do some due diligence. Don't just you know listen to one show and think that everything makes sense. Ask all the right questions, perform any due diligence. You know, But we are here to help open your eyes to new asset classes. And, and Lane, you opened my eyes a bit more today to something I knew was out there, but didn't quite know how it worked. As we close to bring this full circle, help us, Lane, and help our listeners as we wrap up with our Learn Before You Burn segment. For those regular listeners, you know, this is a time where we talk about how to get the lesson from somebody else without actually getting the experience. So Lane, we'll put you on the hot seat here. What's that stove touching experience that you've gotten in your life that you want to pass the lesson on and hopefully save someone else from touching the hot stove? Oh boy, <laughs> so many. <laughs> you know, on this topic, I will tell you that Working with a team of people that know what they're doing has saved my, I'm going to say saved my bacon. And I'll tell you what I mean. There is, you know, in these walls, there's probably 250 or more years experience in education finance. And 
doing it right is super important. If you do it wrong, you could lose the bankruptcy protections. You could pay too much. You could, you know, you wind up loaning to one borrower. Your risk is higher. So we've, we've, you know, on this business, I've learned so, so much about all of that. And of course, now we're talking about a business that's in its growth phase. My partner, Don, he ran that company, a thousand employees, and I, I've never run an organization with a thousand employees. So I'm really glad he's the one at the helm. So you learn about that, you know, gosh, that's quite the question. I mean, I could go on and on. Don't squat with your spurs on, right? <laughs> so. Well, I think there's some nuggets in there. And I think the key are, you know, key is make sure you've got people around you that are brighter than you are and leverage people's experience, right? I think that's something we all tend to probably fall a little bit short on is make sure that you got people that know what they're doing, how they're doing it and the why behind it. Right. Yep. Do your homework. You know, on that note, you say, do your homework, do your due diligence. If you're here in the Arizona, you know, Phoenix metro area, give us a holler, come by, pull back the curtain, meet the team, sit in the conference room, uh, do what you got to do. We're open book. We'd rather tell you everything and know that we disclosed it all than have you try and guess. So give us a holler. We're just, we'd rather do that. And if you can't, if you're not in the Phoenix area, that's fine. Let's do a Zoom call face-to-face, you know, whatever we got to do to help you feel comfortable before you move forward. Wonderful. Well, Lane, thank you so much for the time today. For those out there that are listening regularly, please make sure you're hitting the like, share, subscribe button. Help us continue to build the community of alternative assets coupled with good, solid tax strategy. So thanks again, Lane. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you guys next week. Pleasure's mine. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS, that's A-L-T-S, to 407-708-1853 to learn more about how to get started today. Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content, and we'll see you next week.